So welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, a Dark Sun podcast. I'm your host, Robert. And I'm Jesse. So let's talk about Dark Sun. There has been actually quite a bit of Dark Sun news lately. Wizards of the Coast has been talking about bringing back old settings. And of course, they haven't named any specifics yet, but there's been a lot of speculation about Dark Sun. What have you heard about that, Jesse? Well, I just remembering back in 2016 when part of their uh, team said, yeah, we're definitely working on Dark Sun, but we have to hammer out Psionics. And uh, they've definitely taken several whacks at Psionics, and we know that there are Psionic character types showing up in the upcoming Tasha's Cauldron of Everything source book. So I would say that there is a pretty good chance that Dark Sun is on the horizon for 5th Ed from uh, Watsi. Nice. Yeah, that is uh, that is exciting. I'm not a huge fan of uh, of of the way they've kind of recently talked about psionics in Dark Sun. Uh, well, just psionics general in Fifth Edition. But I mean, I'll I'll do what I you know I'll, I'll use whatever kind of psionics I want. I just want more Dark Sun. So <laughs> I'm hey, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, in addition, Devin Knight has finished up his Desert Encounters Two token pack. It includes 59 tokens for your favorite virtual tabletop, all based on Dark Sun creatures. So if you have been playing Dark Sun, uh, you know, online. You'll definitely want to pick those up. It's like eight dollars right now. If you go to immortalnights.com, you can get those. Uh, he also has an, a Desert Encounters Pack One. Also has uh, some some very Dark Sun esque creatures. So definitely, um, I, I just I love his style. I have so many of his tokens. <laughs> and there are two new Dark Sun actual plays, which is the topic of today's show. So we're talking with Donathan Fry and Chris Hislop of the Dark Sun Veiled Alliance podcast show. So welcome, Donathan and Chris. Hey, thanks for having us. Hello there. Yeah, so Donathan, what's the elevator pitch for Rise of the Veiled Alliance? Sure, yeah. So uh, Rise of the Veiled Alliance, we ran our first campaign earlier this year, like near the beginning of the year. And when I pitched it originally, what that campaign was, I sort of pitched it to a group of players and people who hadn't played Dark Sun before. And what I told them was, this is going to be like this specific campaign. It's going to be like Game of Thrones meets Mad Max meets Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. And that was the way that I kind of like onboarded them onto this idea that there's going to be a lot of politics, especially in the campaign that we're playing. Uh, but it's got this swords and sandals vibe. And, you know, it, it is this it's not post-apocalyptic specifically. It's more like Fallen Earth, but it, it's some of the elements mm-hmm. of it. It really does feel like Mad Max, especially yeah, once sure. you get away from the larger areas, uh, the mm-hmm. city states. Nice. Uh, how were you introduced to, to uh, Dark Sun? So I got introduced to tabletop role playing games uh, by my dad and my dad. I started playing like when I was like six or seven and my dad was pretty young, too. And he he had come up, and I guess I was at the end of like the satanic panic, right? So he'd always played like D and D secretly when he was a teenager with his friends, but like his parents, my grandparents, were very very opposed to this. So he would <laughs> constantly get in trouble. They like would throw away his box sets and and whatnot. So as soon as I got anything resembling close to the right age. Uh, my dad was like, hey, you want to play? Uh, at first, it was like Marvel superheroes role playing was the first game we played, which TSR nice. also made. Yeah. But then he, you know, my dad really liked Mad Max, the movies, and he he liked action movies in general. We watched a ton of them when I was a kid. And uh, he didn't like <laughs> there was no such thing as like an R rating in our house. So I like watched everything <laughs> with him. 
Yeah. And he, you know, I liked Mad Max too. And he was like, you know, there's this setting. I've never played it before. And so one of my first games of D and D that I played was dark sun. My dad ran a, I don't know, it was a few sessions of it really liked it. And I don't think I touched it again until those gold box games came out. But then mm-hmm. I played the gold box computer games. And mm-hmm. I, I remember, I think it was shattered sands was the first one. I loved that game. And so I, once I got old enough to start to run dark sun, or run D and D. I started playing Dark Sun that way. So back nice. in second edition, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So there have been a handful of Dark Sun actual play shows. What drew you specifically to Athos for your show? Uh, so there are a lot of old settings that I really, really like. Uh, Dark Sun's one of them. Dragonlance is one of them. Well, classic Ravenloft, like not, you know, like I do love the Curse of Strahd, that storyline that they've done over and over again. But like some of the other settings in Ravenloft, I really like I those are the ones I grew up playing a lot of. And so I'd done uh, Dragonlance 5th edition conversion. I'd run a long term campaign on stream for that. And we got a lot of support from the community. And Margaret Wise, I was really, really supportive of our show. And I just had a blast and I being like um an adventure writer I, I write write for publishers I really enjoy the mechanical process of adaptation from the older editions to 5th edition I do love 5th edition uh, as a game I, I like it quite a bit uh so I was I'd had a lot of fun with that and I knew I wanted to do Dark Sun and I was running I started running a private Dark Sun game for my patrons on Patreon and that was more like classic survival style Dark Sun. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And so I wanted to try something different. I guess I was, I, I also play in a Green Ronin Sword Chronicles. I play in a Game of Thrones campaign. That's a lot of fun. And I knew that Balak was really, really ripe for politics, for some interesting politics. And so I think, you know, just wanting to continue bringing older editions to fifth edition, older settings, and introduce them to people who don't know those settings yet. You know, they've so many new players started with fifth edition that a lot of them don't know Dark Sun. And while I love the game of fifth edition, I really, really love all of the rich lore and, and world building from the earlier editions of D&D. And so to get to bring that to people and share that with people is something that's really exciting to me. Nice. So it sounds like you are uh, pretty familiar with the world. What was something that surprised you during uh, the making of the first season, either with uh, the direction of the storyline or one of the characters' arc? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I did a pretty intensive curation and adaptation. Some of it's my personal role. Some of it's curated from uh, independently published, you know, fifth edition supplements and whatnot to create our version of what Dark Sun looks like in fifth edition. So I presented the players in the first campaign of Rise of the Veiled Alliance with all of these options and all of these races and two of the like half the cat, half the group, you know, they picked elves. Uh, another player picked a half elf as a race. And then we had a turtle, which I hadn't even included as an option. Although like I, we use sand turtles now in, mm-hmm. in our adaptation of dark sun, I think it fits pretty easily into the world, Definitely. but like that wasn't even an option. And in previous editions, they didn't even exist. So, you know, I like, I present them all these like specific dark sun things and they're like, well, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And, and our story, uh, at least initially became a lot more about how to how to bring elves 
into the city-state of Balak in a way where they would have political agency, which isn't, you know, that wasn't something that I planned for. That wasn't something that's canonically, you know, really there. So that was probably the most surprising thing. And it did sort of change, especially early on, the arc of the story that I had imagined. Fascinating. The uh, the addition of turtles was inspired, I suppose you could say, the the idea of the, the desert tortoise sort of character. So it, it's fun to see always people taking Dark Sun and, and putting their own twist on it and going, hey, how can I take this interesting thing from Dungeons and Dragons and then give it the Dark Sun flavor? Which, uh, you know, goes to the, the idea of what kind of rules you're using. Folks want to know what, what 5e rule set are you using? Uh, one that you found online, one that you, you built yourself. I think you, you mentioned doing some of your own rules writing and conversion work there. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, we have, you know, on the LFM Network Discord in the Veiled Alliance uh, channel that you can go into, we have a campaign guide. It, it's not the full campaign guide that my players have, but it has a lot of, a, a lot of it in there. Uh, it's pinned. It's a pinned post. So anybody can go in there and take a look at what we're using. I use a mix of, you know, obviously like basic D&D 5th edition rules. I use the races, the the additional races from Gabriel Zenon Walk's uh, Dark Sun Player's Handbook for 5th edition. That home homebrew PDF that you can find, I think uh, it's pinned on the Dark Sun Reddit. For classes, I sort of curated a mix of what subclasses and classes I thought were appropriate based on the setting, using Unearthed Arcana, uh, you know, some of the options available in the various published Watsi books, and then some independently published DMs Guild supplements as well that I think are particularly good. So some of those are like the Circle of Elementals uh, Mm -hmm. is a great, you know, independently published book on DMs Guild. Um, There's the Way of the Elements for Monks, which I think is stronger than (laughs) the version that Watsi released. And specifically, I think it's a little bit more fun for Dark Sun. There's the, uh, and then for Psionics, which is like, it's the hardest thing. And you already mentioned this before, that Watsi's tried several different shots at uh, how to handle Psionics. And some people liked Mystic and, and some people didn't. Uh, some people like the you know psionic subclasses they're doing, and, and some folks don't. None of them, to me, have felt like the way I think about psionics when I think about the old novels, uh, which did a particularly good job mm-hmm. of depicting psionics in in the setting. So there is a uh, you know there's a great DM's guild. It, it's complicated. It's a not easy to wrap your head around class, but I think it does a really good job. There's a, a supplement called Classic Psionic System for 5e on DM's Guild, and that's the one that to me felt the most like the Dark Sun rules that I grew up with, but working for Fifth Edition. So that's the one I use for the Scion class, but. Beyond those, everything else I've homebrewed. So my defiling preserving rules are homebrewed. I have a social encounter system because some of our characters are not very combat prone. They're more uh, about, you know, sort of manipulating things behind the scenes. And so sometimes, you know, they might find themselves in a, like, if you go to court and you have to speak in front of all these people, I wanted a little bit more heft in terms of how we could mechanize some of those social encounters beyond just a couple of dice rolls. 
wild talents, uh, some extra intrigue feats for the characters who want to lean more into intrigue. And then I, you know, I use a various uh, number of house rules, like ability stunts. And I have, um, since defiling can be so powerful, I have a special critical hit rule set for what happens when you crit on a weapon attack so that I could give like a little bit more of a swing, right? I want Dark Sun to feel really swingy. So like if you're, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a barbarian or a gladiator or something and you roll a natural 20, I want it to feel like you've hit really, really hard. And so there's a few options of things, extra things you can do when you crit on weapon attacks and just a few things like that. Those are sort of the more mechanical rules that, that we adapted to try to make Dark Sun fit and feel like 5th edition because 5th edition, you're sort of playing superheroes in a way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things about Dark Sun is it's supposed to be so dangerous. So I really punch up the npcs the monsters that they face uh, and i know chris does too and but in turn you know dark sun characters are also more powerful than your standard DD characters in a number of ways quite so So it sounds like when you were converting you you sort of focus on it sounds like the themes for the setting rather than kind of trying to convert strictly from the ad and d rules to fifth edition can you tell us a little bit about your process of when you you convert stuff yeah. So first, I, I guess I think about like, what is this campaign? You know, what's this what's this story about? You know, what kinds of activities are the players going to be engaging in now that I have an idea of the characters they're playing, what those characters goals are. And that sort of allows me to create additional rules that I think will support them or to adapt some rules or make some slight tweaks. I, I feel very strongly that there's a lot of amazing homebrew for Dark Sun. Like if you want to mm -hmm. play Dark Sun in fifth edition, even though it's not published, you can do it right now. There's so many people who've worked on conversions. Uh, and my favorite of the conversions are the ones that understand what fifth edition's trying to do, like what makes it work, and align themselves with that. So that's part of my mechanical conversion. In terms of themes, you know, I, I mean we talk about like the changes that I've made to the story or that Chris has made to the story little things from you know bringing in races that are fifth edition races like turtles is an easy thing to do and, and not unprecedented for dark sun either you know in fourth edition they release new races and like each edition mm -hmm. they have updated you know a little bit of what the world looks like i suspect that when uh because i imagine it's a when they release fifth edition dark sun uh officially and they publish that it, it'll be a pretty substantial update in terms of lore and the races and everything like that too so i, I want to find out what my players are interested in and then i want to create more things that hook into that you know so i ask a lot of questions when i first start and then my conversion is really just uh, an extension of the answers i get from those questions very cool so changing gears a little bit what went into your decision to do pre-recorded shows rather than doing a, a live show yeah i guess a lot of things um we did our first campaign that we did earlier this season, which was sort of a test for the channel uh, for LFM Network and sort of a test for the Dark Sun just to sort of get the players into the world um, in a nice and easy way, get new viewers into the world nice and easy way. That was live. And I usually, I'm used to doing, you know, streams live. I think most, most folks do. Pre-recording allowed us to do a few things. First and foremost, it let us 
create a little bit of a buffer of episodes because 2020 has been sort of unrelenting. And uh, there's been a number of <laughs> events that have happened this year that have caused us to take like weeks off in our first campaign. Like we had to take breaks because uh, of all different kinds of reasons and challenges that we had. And by pre-recording that buffers basically allowed us to make sure that, you know, we're not missing a week. We are always going to have a show. Uh, we started early and, you know, we'll go through the end without missing a single week. And then secondly, there's always the possibility, especially when you're dealing with uh, harsh worlds or severe themes, there's always the possibility that something uncomfortable could happen at any table at any time. And while, you know, knock on wood, nothing like that's ever happened to us, I wanted to make sure that if a player ever felt uncomfortable or if, uh, you know, there needed to be, we needed to stop the session to talk about something, to work something out as people, as human beings, we could do that, you know, not live, not in front of an audience. And we could do that. And then, you know, we can always go in if we have to and, and edit or, or not air that episode at all. You know, we have a little bit more control, a little bit more safety there. Uh, and the same, you know, on the flip side, you know, like what happens if the internet crashes? Because the internet loves to do that. You know, do we just have to stop the episode there and then like try to start it again the next week? You know, there's all these tech problems that can come up when you're streaming. And by pre-recording, you know, we're able to fix any issues before we air it live, which means that, you know, our viewers know that they're going to get an uninterrupted version of the show. So were multiple seasons always on the horizon for Veiled Alliance or was it kind of, did you initially do it as a, you know, like a single arc? And when did you decide to do another season? It was always planned to do, you know, several campaigns connected by one ongoing story. And the idea, you know, my pitch was, you know, we're going to take the setting of Balak. We're going to make something that feels very Game of Thrones. This isn't your typical Dark Sun in that, you know, it's not about survival or travel, you know, uh, exploring the world. We're really focused on this one place and the politics there. And by doing that, my goal was to make it easy for people new to the setting to slowly get used to the setting. And for the players to kind of slowly get used to the setting. And then the idea was for the second campaign, now we're going to go out and explore more of the world. And we're going to get more of that like pulp adventure or that swords and sandals action uh, and some of the survival stuff that really sets Dark Sun apart from the other settings. So it was always planned. What wasn't planned and what's been a really happy find is we decided to do two different campaigns for our second season they're both interrelated so you have my campaign journey to the obsidian spire which i run then you have chris's campaign tales from the sealed expanse which uh, is an entirely different setting an entirely different vibe of dark sun and both of those stories are interconnected in impacting each other from across the world in different ways but by doing that, we really get to explore in this new season the whole, whole lot of the world of Athos, which I think is really cool. So was your decision to do those two concurrent shows something that came out of Chris coming to you with an idea or your players saying, we, we want to take the characters in different directions and explore different things or, or a desire to explore the even more different themes in the Dark Sun world? What was it that, that really prompted you to split into two, those two different shows, Journey to the Obsidian Spire and Tales from the Silt Expanse? Well, I can say what started it initially, uh, and you know, 
Chris can speak to more probably, but it started off uh, like a lot of things when you're playing D&D do uh, with a scheduling issue. You know, I had a player in the first campaign who was playing, you know, because of time zones until like five o'clock, sometimes six o'clock in the morning. And, wow. you know, they, <laughs> they asked me, they asked me, you know, like, is there any way we could not do this time? And there wasn't, there, <laughs> there wasn't a, a good way. And so, um, I, you know, I, I kind of came up with this idea to do a second campaign and I'd already been thinking about like, it's already split. Like, I really want to go to the Silt Sea, but I really want to do this sort of caravan campaign and player, uh, Toby Osmond introduced me to Chris and said, you know, you're my two, you know, favorite dungeon masters, uh, get to know each other. And then I started to get to know Chris. I didn't realize that was our intro point was Toby saying you're our two, yeah. my two favorite DMS. That's a, that's an odd one. <laughs> yeah. Are we his only, are we his only two yeah. DMs? We're his only I don't two know DMs. the answer to that. We're his only two DMs, yeah. I mean, Toby DMs as well, but I have a, uh, don't know how he's doing yet. He's very, very green, very green, taking his time, which is good. <laughs> Oh, there was a there was a lovely moment where um Toby had said to me, like, I do this other show, it's really cool. I watched a bit and went, Way, this is production values. Wow. Like it yeah. it's so well produced and the work that's done behind the scenes by the producers is remarkable in creating something that looks and feels so televisual. Like I I run quite a lot of streams and I, I I live DM as like a career. And a lot of it is like, hey, here's the webcams and we're all talking onto screens and what else. But then watching Veiled Alliance was very much a this is aiming for HBO and it's getting surprisingly close considering it's, you know, six people on a webcam in various studios or bedrooms. So there was a definite like, here is something cool and something different and the way it's being run is different that was exciting and then to hear back from don about yeah let's let's talk i've got these big plans be part of them was was the first sort of moment where we went okay you've got big plans i have big attitude how come these two match <laughs> <laughs> nice so chris you are uh you're running uh, tales from the silt expanse which yes. uh as we've sort of mentioned a little bit is on twitch uh, it's on the LFM network on Sundays mm -hmm. at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, yep. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the kind of pitch for it and kind of what Dark Sun themes are you highlighting? Well, it's the Silt Expanse. It's the Silt Sea. It's the bit of Dark Sun, which is even less explored than the rest of Dark Sun, which is already not well explored. So <laughs> it's got this beautiful sense of opportunity of there could be literally anything here. It ties into wonderful themes around like um, the Odyssey or Moby Dick even. These, these contextual points of traveling out of this wide open space that is still Athos and still terrifying. And there's still way too much stuff there that is way too dangerous. And trying to find a way to keep that light, to keep that entertaining, to bounce along with all of the plot lines started in Balak and making those plot lines exist in these big wide open spaces, there was a lot of question there of how do we want this to function as a story point. So in a one line pitch, it's um, wild and wacky cruises. It is wild and <laughs> wacky cruises. There is no way around it. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, but we just had an encounter where the, um, the party encounter burn flowers, which is a very classic dark sun um, environmental hazard. And I've spiced mm -hmm. it a little bit. I've tweaked it a little bit to get a slightly different vibe out of it. But <laughs> just going, 
what are we doing today? You're finding water, my dears. You're finding water. And uh, <laughs> right. that's the job today is, oh, look, there's flowers. Flowers must need water to survive. Mm-hmm. They kill you if you get too close. Right. <laughs> and it became like, it's that sense of using the landscape of dark sun as an opportunity to explore travel, to explore traveling needs, to explore the wild and wackiness of jumping from one place to the next, a bit like a Star Trek series, you know? Definitely, definitely. That, that's one of the things that I um, I enjoy about Dark Sun, the, the the different locations and just you can have wildly different creatures mm. and, and people everywhere. So uh, there's a lot of room there. So <laughs> you had talked about how characters from Tales from the uh, from the Silt Expanse, some of them are from the original show. So yes. give us a quick rundown of the characters in your group. Sure. Well, Toby, the aforementioned Toby Osmond, plays uh, Rysar Ruathamir, who is a praetor of Balak and has various secretive missions provided by various secretive people. I think more often, more than he can remember. I think that's kind of the point of the way Toby plays <laughs> Rysar anyway. So many, many politics, many, many fingers, many, many pies is the way I would describe Rysar. Um, he's joined by Cronkwall, the aforementioned Sand Tortle, played by uh, Cord, it's Mathematic, who um, he is also one of our producers. And Cronkwall, uh, as a Sand Tortle, he's really steering down the um, psychic warrior, quiet Jedi in the corner vibe. Always there, always assisting, often getting the wrong end of the stick, but incredibly supportive and caring of his allies, which is a very nice take on a world that can be so dark and so vicious and so so dangerous. So that makes a very nice counterbalance to our politicking elf. We also have some new characters. Don himself is playing in my game, so I get to deal with Don's uber power-leveled ranger <laughs> half-giant, who <laughs> is a combat machine. Don is using a couple of spells incredibly effectively to be this incredible battle prowess, but also playing a softy sweetheart under the surface with a real sense of camaraderie and adventurer. And almost like a Mills and Boone, this like lovely vibe of a person looking for something just over the edge of the horizon, which comes in quite nicely throughout. And then we've got two completely new players to the entire company. We've got a Kiana Shaw. Kiana is playing a Tari rat folk called Rickus, and they are a um, little rat folk thief, exactly what it says on the tin in many ways, but also a chaotic, neutral ball of energy allowing things to go in a slightly quirky, weird, odd way at times, which is great fun. And finally, Brie Patterson has joined us as a new, and again, another new a new race, a new, a new, a new flavor with a lava genasi, which is part earth genasi, part fire genasi, and playing on some ideas there of being genie born and what that means, and playing quite a dark, quiet, reserved assassin that is what that is what she is but playing it very quietly and cards close to the chest with more being revealed as time goes on so that's our that's our group i see you said uh toby's playing a templar and templars are kind of classically or sorry well praetor but is is that not a a templar uh don you're the dark sun expert (laughs) yeah well that's what they call that's what they call the templars in balak balak is unique that way so, so those kind of characters are kind of usually seen as evil in the, and sort of selfish in the mm. classic lore. So how does that come into play and how does it affect the group dynamic? Well, he's evil and selfish. I mean, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, that's, that would be harsh. I apologize. That's a bit cruel. Toby, I mean, this is a thing from player to DM. Like um, I play with Toby quite a bit in uh, other games that I've run and he's very good at towing that line about being likable, charismatic, engaging but you're not sure if his goals align with yours. And part of the joy of having such a politicking creature on this um, 
mission is that at times he will make decisions that are counter to party need, counter to party want, counter to story narrative sometimes as well. <laughs> but that's, well, no, this is part of what makes DMing so much fun for me is when a player throws me a curveball. The yeah, idea of knowing, well, this character has all of the hallmarks of someone really quite nasty, has managed to find a way through it that isn't necessarily too horrifically awful at all times. And then seeing the humanity, I mean, the elf, elvenness, I suppose is the better word there, underneath <laughs> it all as well. Um, I think he's towing a wonderful line there. And I like that Dark Sun's a world where that line can be so effectively towed. Fascinating. The, as they would say over on Star Trek, which you mentioned, so that door is open and I must well, barge through. I am the Brit. I am the resident Brit. This is what I have to do. You see, this is what happens. <laughs> so, with uh, Journey to the Obsidian Spire, the other game, uh, also on Twitch on the LFM network, but Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Donathan, tell us a, a bit about what sort of themes you're highlighting over there for Obsidian Spire. Sure, sure. Yeah. And um, Journey to the Obsidian Spire on Mondays, it's at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific time. And I... Oh, I got bad intel. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I know it's confusing. Um, so it, it in a lot of ways, it's an extension of the first campaign politically, but taken in a different direction. So Cronkwall, who's the turtle in Silt Expanse, uh, and Rysar who uh, is the Praetor in Silt Expanse. They both were in the original campaign, like Chris said, uh, and they moved to the other group. And then, you know, we have the other half of the original cast with new characters as well. And because Rise of the Veiled Alliance, that campaign was very much about the houses, the merchant houses of Valak, that we wanted to continue those political storylines because they were important to the characters, the players. But they're dealing with, and I guess in a way, both shows are dealing with this sort of existential threat to Athos, this alien threat that a moon door has opened, as it is wont to do in Dark Sun every once in a while. And through it has come the Yuan T. So in Dark Sun, and again, I don't think I, Yuan T are, are rarely touched upon in previous editions, but they just fit so well into the world of Dark Sun. In mm -hmm. our game, this race of snake-like humanoids, they come from the moon Guthay, and they're not known in the world. They're shapeshifters. Uh, they work, you know, I've adapted the race for Dark Sun so that it's a little bit different. So, for instance, in normal 5th edition, uh, Yuan-Ti are resistant to magic. In Dark Sun, they're powerful, extremely powerful psionics. Their minds can't be read unless they want them to be read. Uh, they have the ability to shapeshift in a much more, um, uh, in a way that allows them basically to replace people. And that's sort of the, what the story of the first campaign revealed was that there are these snake-like shapeshifters who are replacing common people, important people. They're playing some larger game. And at the end of the first campaign, uh, Caesar, who... I think they called in, in old dark sun dictator and was the sorcerer king of Valak. We've changed mm -hmm. it to Caesar. We've taken this more Roman vibe, but Andropinus uh, is either killed or is stolen away. You're not sure which by these shapeshifters. That's sort of what sends both of our new campaigns out into the world. So there's a group sailing the silt sea. And then my group in journey to the obsidian spire it's the leaders of uh, the Balakan Veiled Alliance. It's the leaders of some of the great houses, the merchant houses who are aligning themselves, at least temporarily, 
with the Veiled Alliance and the characters, many of which who play like either the the next in line to their house or are very, very prominent figures within certain houses. They're all going on this caravan to Golg, and their goal is to entreat with uh, Lulali Poi, the sorceress queen of Golg, and to get access to her oracle. And the idea is that the oracle might be the only person that they're aware of, the Veiled Alliance is aware of, who might have an answer for how to deal with these shapeshifters. So that's, that's sort of like the impetus for the journey. And what it allows us to do is it allows us to take like the sort of cutthroat politics uh, that are happening that will impact the future of the city-state of Valak on the road. So we get the pulp adventure, but also at points we get to interact politically, not just internally within the caravan, but also with the locations that they travel to. And they're going to they're gonna travel to many, many locations throughout the course of this campaign. Yeah, fighting the reptoids of Alpha Draconis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did the the party wind up falling out for this one? The give us the the rundown, you know, quick one of the the characters in the group that are going to be making this legendary journey. Sure. So you have Christina Ariel's um, playing Lady Akasha, who is an elven noble, and. We, I think I alluded to this earlier, but when we were establishing our version of Balak, we established that uh, a number of years ago, you know, a couple of generations ago, that some of the elvish tribes that wander the deserts, the tablelands, came to Balak and established a house. They stopped wandering these specific groups of elves and have really taken a rise in power, especially in the merchant quarters of the city and so she plays the granddaughter of the leader of this house sereno and she is the next in line to take over the house and he's ancient this elf her grandfather lord atlas so the amount of time that he has left in the world is left to a question and so lady akasha is a bard and a politician uh, she's got some secrets of her own that are going on that kind of progress as the story goes on. You learn more about what's going on with her. Uh, but you really get to see through her, her character's ambition. Because now that Caesar's gone, she's not just interested in being the leader of a house. She wants to be the next Caesar. And she is campaigning on the road and trying to make allies so that hopefully when the adventure's over that she'll be positioned to become the leader of the entire city-state, which is a, it's a big ask. And that's, that's her goal. We also have, the from the original campaign, Marilla. Marilla, they are uh, the next in line for House Akatia. And House Akatia is an ancient house in Balak that has been waning. And over the, you know, the last 10 years or so, there have been a number of mysterious accidents where every single member of the house, except for its leader, uh, Lord Lucius, and Marilla, who was the very last in line to possibly take over the house, they're now the only two members of the family left. And, and unlike some, some of the houses, it's not democratically elected. It's passed down generationally. So you have this waning house with a lot of pride. Uh, Lord Lucius is this very, like, very Game of Thrones, Tywin Lannister sort of character. You don't really know what he's about. And Marilla's relationship with their father 
and them trying to figure out how to be a noble, how to fit into politics, how to make an impact, while also secretly being a little bit of a defiler is sort of the storyline that they're pursuing. And, and Sam DeLev plays the character. It's a brilliant character. And the first season was sort of like a coming coming of age story for them. The second season, we really get to see them come into their own, which has been a lot of fun. We've got new characters as well. Bill DePietro plays Horson, which is a mall gladiator. He's using the uh, really, really great independently published pugilist class for it. So he can lean into the sort of charismatic, like showman aspects of being a gladiator. He's an ex-gladiator, though, and, and now he trains other gladiators. He works for House Jarko. He's one of the more prominent figures in that house. And he's caravan security for the group. And Bill plays just a, an excellent mall. Like he was, he was born to play a mall. <laughs> um, we have Michael playing Ebo, who is an elvish defiler, a wizard who lives in a out in the desert and has basically found a way uh it's not preserving but he's found another way to use his magic to despite the fact that it's defiling to try to help his people and help the world and he's got a ton of secrets too and, and michael plays an amazing character and then we have charlie smith from encounter roleplay playing dia and dia is uh probably the most secret like dia and risar should never be left in the same room together uh, she's the most secretive character she's a quote unquote art dealer but like i've never seen an art dealer that uh straight up murdered people quite so easily as dia so i i, I know what's going on there i won't say anything about it but charlie plays just a mean mean political game and all of these like sort of political ambitions of the characters, like they're forced to work together for this common purpose. But just like with Rysar, their goals are not aligned in the end. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens once they all make their plays. That sounds awesome. This these characters sound really cool and just the the stories sound cool. I've I've had a chance to to watch the first episode of uh Silt Expanse, but I was out of town for the first episode of um of Obsidian Spire. So I need to catch up on that. So Chris, you, you said that, uh, uh, you know, Toby introduced you to, uh, to Donathan. And was this your, like your introduction to Dark Sun or had you been introduced to it before? Oh, I've, huh. my intro to D&D was uh, a lot more, um, I grew up in Germany. I'm mostly German. And um, the, I didn't have any association with RPGs or TTRPGs, certainly for a very long time until I was about 15. And my school library was stocking Dragon Magazine. And this was just about second, third edition crossover time. So we're talking, I don't know, I remember the time frame exactly. But um, the first magazines I picked up and the first time I got excited about D&D was third edition. And of course, then I, of course, I turned to the friendly librarian and went, do you have back issues? Can I see what <laughs> else is going on? And it was literally just at the crossover point. It was just when they were starting to go, look, third edition's a thing. And going back through the back issues, there were about, I think, 50. And going through them and going, wow, there is a lot here. Second edition, where third felt very much like, here is a setting. Here is what this is. And I was getting excited about that. Looking back through those and going, there is a whole world here of strange other places of different ideas and different styles. And I can remember an article about Dark Sun that was very arresting. A lot of the ideas about Dark Sun and what it is really grabbed hold then. I will admit then until 
until Toby told me he was in a Dark Sun campaign, I had not given it a second thought for 15 years? A long time. Mm-hmm. But then when Don mentioned, come along, DM this Dark Sun campaign, it, that was my starting point. I went back, I went back through my old editions because I still have them. And I went back and found that article and read it again and looked at all of Don's notes and rewatched bits of Eld Alliance and went, okay, what what story do I want to tell here? And I'm a live DM. I don't write adventures. I just, <laughs> I make them up as I go along. I run them. I tell stories with people. And um, one of the things I found most exciting was this cast of characters, a lot of lovely ideas of people and who they are and where they want to go. And I do like the episodic nature of a story that is, we can pick up on this thing over here. We can pick up on that thing over there. We can pick up on different bits of the lore and twist them and play with them and decide what we like and decide what we don't. Like we've just had, as I mentioned earlier, there's been an episode with burn flowers. We have silt horrors following us around. Of course, it wouldn't be a ship story without a kraken of some description. We know that. (laughs) But then we've also like, we're about to go to uh, a place that fans of Dark Sun might be really like surprised and happy to see when we explore Tarallon which is a setting and a location that has so much lore about it, about what it is, and this sort of ancient lost city in the middle of the silt. And I've tweaked it a lot. I've changed a lot of things to be more my kind of speed. But, you know, an Earth Druid ruling over a tribe of raiders in the middle of the silt felt like too good an opportunity to pass up. Definitely. So, Donathan, the, the two shows have characters from the first season. So do their stories overlap in season two or have they sort of split and gone their own way and are completely separate now? They definitely overlap. And Chris and I have a lot of fun. We do a lot to give the players choices in our campaigns that we know based on the choices they make, they're going to have an impact in the other campaign. So there's a lot of things that happen that uh, are changing the landscape and will ultimately probably decide what the future of Valak is, which is really, you know, at the core of everything. They go out on this journey, but the journeys are going to determine the future of Valak. And, and that's just a series of choices that the players have made. And so they're impacting each other that way. You know, sometimes they'll, they'll hear rumors about the things the other characters have done that impact you know what they need to do next or sometimes they will take actions that will create problems for the other group but there are several points where the characters it hasn't happened yet where we will have crossover you know we do have this idea that you know we're building out a sort of an expanded dark sun story you know think of a i don't want to say it's like marvel but if you imagine like how marvel you know has their different properties they're different movies and and characters and and then sometimes they get together uh, and sometimes they cross over and that will happen in these two campaigns Um, multiple times we will see the different groups the casts come over to chris's show or to my show and my hope is that at some point maybe near the end or, or at the end I want like that epic everyone's together now moment uh, where where they do all come together and you do get to see all of the consequences from everything that's happened in both campaigns in one like epic kind of moment. That sounds awesome. So both campaigns seem to be kind of based on travel. One is a caravan and one is on a silt ship. But uh, Chris, like how are the how are the shows different? I mean, the tone, for one, Don and I are very different DMs in the <laughs> loving way, of course. Like, we have very different styles. Mm-hmm. I have tried 
so hard to be more of that um, slow, careful, methodical, gentle DM. But I am not. I am silly. I like silly things. <laughs> I like to blur that line between player and character and try and work out what people want to do and what characters want to do. I like to throw curveballs at players, see where they land, see where it sits. I think I'd say Silt Expanse is fast and loose. And but that fastness and looseness means we're steering into some wonderful captured moments. Like I love that point when you're having fun, you're laughing, something funny is happening, it's crazy, everyone's having a good time, and then suddenly tragedy strikes, and you have a moment of okay, whoa, this is a big moment now. We have to give it the respect and credit it deserves, but also knowing that a player might make it very, very funny again in an instant. That ability to <laughs> bounce between those two is what I love about live streaming. And in live recording of streams, watching people play is there is part of it that is watching people tell incredible stories and perform incredible stories, but also watching people have fun together. I'm not saying that what Don's doing isn't people having fun together. My God, no, but it is a very different flavor, a very different speed, definitely. What will folks familiar with the original lore of Dark Sun notice that you've changed or that is different in your games? I noticed that slavery is banned in your version of Balak. Uh, what else have you changed in the setting to help you tell the stories that you wanted to tell? Donovan? I guess a lot and not a lot in a way. Uh, so when when we first start, and this is something that I do for all the games that I run, you know, I I use um, like a, con a consent checklist with my players. Like I basically, it says like, these are the things we definitely want in our game. These are the things that um, we we want in our game, but we want to kind of handle sensitively. And here are just certain things that we don't want in the game. And I, I use that as a guideline, you know, because it, it does need to be fun. And it's going to be the most fun if I give them what they want, you know, maybe not in the way that they want it, but I give them what they want. And I make sure that things that they're uncomfortable with just aren't part of the game. And so in doing so, you know, there's a number of things about Dark Sun. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see when it's published how Wizards of the Coast handles some of these themes that, that we just want to kind of change. So in Balak, uh, yeah, slavery was banned. I think I mentioned before the elves, uh, which are generally uh, only nomadic in Dark Sun, have created a, a merchant house of their own in Balak because that's something the players wanted to explore. Uh, there's new races. Uh, I changed Dictator and Dropinus to Caesar and kind of leaned a little bit more on the Roman vibes, which I think are already present in, mm -hmm. in the original Balak setting anyways. For sure. Um, so there's, there's things like that. But in terms of like how defiling works and the history of the world and uh, psionics, how the will and the way work, all of that is very, very much the same. Um, the other city-states are, are the same as they are canonically uh, this is happening you know our campaign is set shortly before the prism pentad so uh you know you have Kalak and tear and all of those plots are going on at the same time as as these plots so we do break away from canon you know the yuan t the storyline that we're telling it's not one that i think i've seen in any of the published adventures that i own which is like all of them uh <laughs> or or any of the books necessarily mm -hmm. but but we try, but, but I think, you know, the goal is while we've changed some aspects of the lore and the world uh, to make it more fun for the players, that it does feel like part of Dark Sun. It does feel like part of classic Dark Sun that people who have loved the setting for 
as long or longer than I have would recognize. Yeah, I think that um, I, I appreciate your show, your guys' shows, because because of that, because it feels like Dark Sun. Even though you have changed little things, it still feels like Dark Sun. Whereas I've watched some of the other shows that call themselves Dark Sun shows, and and sometimes they change things so drastically that what they're playing to me, you know, while it resembles Dark Sun, is not Dark Sun. Um, and so I really appreciate that your your guys' show definitely feels like Dark Sun to me. So what what do you think is something, Donathan, that Dark Sun fans will appreciate from this season? like uh lore wise like there are there some you know give us some locations or some npcs that are in the established lore that we're gonna see yeah okay yeah i don't want to i don't want to spoil too much but i'll sure sure yeah yeah no spoil yeah (laughs) so there is i i think that people will enjoy the sort of game of thrones aspects of the storyline the houses especially in journey to the obsidian spire all of the houses are very distinct. Uh, we use, you know, House Wavir and House Tomblador, and the classic houses are there. And we have the player-created houses that we've integrated into the world, like House Sereno and House Akatia. And I think that they're all very distinct. And seeing them interact politically is really, really cool. We're going to get to see, I won't tell you all of the locations, but, you know, we're going to get to see my imagining of Alteruk. Uh, which I've been, Alteruk has been imagined in so many different ways. It's a classic Dark Sun setting in in, in the Tablelands. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get to see and learn more about House Salaxa, which we didn't really touch on in the first campaign. But I think House Salaxa is really, really interesting. And without saying too much, uh, the players will go to a, a location in in the desert that's run by house salaxa and you know i've sort of imagined this location so that when people pass through if they purchase anything from the merchants if they go to a tavern if they try to get information if they want to buy an assassin in this place house salaxa doesn't take payment in ceramics or in coin they only take payment in secrets and so you have to offer a secret that you believe is of equal value to the thing that you wish to purchase and the merchant or whomever they are can say no that's not of equal value you don't get it or they can take your secret and agree and by doing this how salaxa is accumulating a ton of secrets around the world i think it's going to be a really interesting setting when they go there we're going to get to see them go uh, we're going to get to see them meet at some point, the Sorceress Queen of Golg, Lulali Poi, who is a really, really cool character. And we will get to see them go beyond the Tablelands. I won't say more about it, but I, there's a specific location that they're going to spend some time in that, to me, is personally very, very exciting. Ooh. I, I, I know a couple of people out there like me are thinking, Erdraxa? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> So, so what about for Tales from the Silt Expanse, Chris? What what sort of uh, interesting lore nuggets can people look forward to with the upcoming season? Well, I've tried to pick and choose a little bit. There's so much out in the Silt Sea to pick and choose from. I mean, um, the Isles of Ash come up later as part of a tr- bit of travel, and a certain preserver who still lives there comes up as well. So there's a little bit of fun around there. Um, their mission is to get to the island of Schult, which is an existing location. So there's a lot of stuff there that we have drawn back in from original Dark Sun. I'm also 
I'm interested in the Dark Sun cosmology as well. So we're playing around with some ideas there of um, Guthe itself, since the Uanti come from there. Are we going to possibly see Guthe in any kind of detail? And also there's this lovely... Um, I know that uh, Dark Sun has a strange relationship with other planes of existence, um, but there is this <laughs> lovely idea of this sort of Feywildy space, but not Feywildy space, the lands between the winds that I'm steering into from a sort of bigger story point as well. But I don't want to give too much away, not too much in the first time. That's uh, pretty pretty fun because uh, I just... I, I was participating in the Creatober 2020 mm -hmm. challenge, and I've been writing a, a little Dark Sun nugget every day based on that prompt. And for day three, I actually referenced the the land between the winds. Yeah, it's the, there's something very cool about a... I don't want to say Feywild because it isn't Feywild. It's sort of Feywild. But this idea that there was mm -hmm. once one, and it's it's a memory, and it's a land that is in itself a memory. And that, for me, tied in rather fascinatingly with the idea of nightmare beasts and what they mean for the mm. world and how they engage but i'm giving too much away no no you got to watch <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, stay tuned folks yeah so um you can watch the rise of the veiled alliance uh tales from the silt expanse on sundays at noon pacific on twitch twitch.tv slash lfm underscore network and journey to the obsidian spire on mondays at 3 p.m pacific and uh, those are also going on youtube is that right yeah, yeah, that's correct. If you uh, if you subscribe to LFM Network on YouTube, then there's playlists for all of the different campaigns. Um, and if you're a fan of Dark Sun and you check out the shows, like let us know like what you know what moments are really hitting for you, what you're really enjoying, because I know we share all that with the with the cast, and and they just they love to hear uh, what people are are digging about the shows. But yeah, you can find us on YouTube as well. Nice. And you can also follow them on Twitter and Facebook if you just search for Veiled Alliance. Um, and then there's also an LFM Veiled Alliance Discord. We'll put the link up for that in the show notes. So uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, Donathan, where can we find you online? So you can find me mostly on Twitter. Uh, it's probably the best place to follow what I'm up to, at Donathan Fry. And um, I'm the creative director for LFM Network. So I, besides the Veiled Alliance campaigns, we have a horror comedy campaign. It's Call of Cthulhu set in the 1980s. I, I think I say it's like, uh, what if Stranger Things met Avenue Q? So the, uh, the felted friends, the puppeteers from Perception Studio play their characters uh, and we've got a couple of great comedians on that show. We have weekly guests. It's it's ridiculously funny. That runs on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. As for what I'm up to, you know, I run games privately, professionally, full-time, running games, writing games. I work for Modifius on their Octon Cthulhu upcoming tabletop role-playing game, on their Fallout tabletop role-playing game that's coming out soon. I work for Mage Hand Press as the lead adventure writer for The Dark Matter campaigns uh, their adventures uh, which is a ton of fun it's not spell jammer but it is D, D in space a reimagining of what D, D might look like in space and i work for peterson games on their cthulhu mythos sagas which is uh you know taking dark fantasy and the cthulhu mythos and bringing it to fifth edition with a series of like long like curse of strahd length books and I, i've done a couple of books for them now too so i'm always up to something you can follow me there Nice. And Chris, where can we find you online? Uh, much like Don, uh, I am mostly on Twitter at Chris Hislop. That's uh, C-H-R-I-S-H-I-S-L-O-P. 
Yeah, I, do, I live DM a lot. Um, I uh, run a company based out of the UK that does live streams. Uh, we stream on uh, Mondays, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, British Summertime or GMT, which works out as 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific and uh, various other various times throughout the day for the rest of the US times. Um, that's a live D&D game that we run. That's at twitch.tv slash adventurerswanted and twitch.tv slash D&D. We also now run on Tuesday evenings at 7 um, p.m. to 10 p.m. BST, which is uh, 11 a.m. to 2... Oh, God, I'm going to get it wrong. 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. yes, um, American times are available, and uh, we run a whole bunch of live stream shows. That's at twitch.tv slash adventureswanted or twitch.tv slash dnd. We're about to go through a big rebrand, so um, the Adventures Wanted name will change, but uh, you can find us at the uh, official D&D Twitch channel at those times. I'll be DMing or playing or rambling about something as per usual, but yes, that's what I'm doing <laughs> if I'm not working with LFM, who I do quite a lot with now and then. Very pleased to be doing more with. Nice. And Jesse, where can we find you online? You can follow me at Jesse Heinig at Twitter. Uh, and you can see my latest work in the free-to-play video game Star Trek Online. Nice. Uh, and you can uh, reach out to us at Obsidian Athos on Twitter. You can email us at obsidian at athos.org. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Radu76. Uh, I've also uh, been running games on startplaying.games. So if you want to run some play some Dark Sun games with me. You can find me there, or I still have a Patreon as well. Um, you can find me at arena.athos.org for the Dark Sun forums and on Facebook uh, in the Dark Sun group there as well. So thanks, everybody, uh, for, for talking with us today. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Uh, let us know if you've been watching um, any of these shows. Uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about them. Um, and also on their, uh, their channels, leave them a comment there as well. So. Thank you, everybody, for um, coming on Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Thank Thanks for much. having us. Thank this was a blast. Much. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian is hosted by the Misdirected Mark Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs.